0: Welcome back to the Health in Motion Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Alexis. And I'm Evie. And I'm going to lead us through our breath work today. So as you know, a few weeks ago, I had a breath work workshop in my office that was led by our friend James Fryer. Um, And I want to go over a technique of breath work that we talked about in the workshop and we've talked a little bit about it in the podcast previously as well but this is called apnea breathing so apnea breathing is where you have it's a ratio basically of an inhale to a hold to an exhale. Um, and the ratio that most people should start out with, you know, if you don't have a lot of experience with breathing is a one to one ratio. And so what I mean by that is, you know, you want to start out to find out what your baseline is. So most people do a boxed breath or a cadence breathing of, four seconds is a good place for them to start. So that would mean that you inhale for four, you hold for four, you exhale for four, and you hold for four. If you're comfortable with that, and maybe it ends up being five seconds for you. If you're comfortable for that, that's your baseline. So you would take that baseline from your cadence and you apply it to apnea. So the one to one ratio then would be an inhale for four, and then you double that for your hold. So you would hold it for eight. And then you exhale for four. So again, four, eight, four. So we're going to go ahead and do that. But before we jump into the apnea, let's actually get a few good deep breaths in. These are going to be slow. So we're going to breathe in. We'll do two rounds for four seconds of an inhale, four seconds of an exhale. A slight pause, four second inhale, four second exhale. And let's do this through the nose the entire time. So we'll go ahead and inhale through the nose for one, two, three. Four and exhale for the nose for four, three, two, one. Slight pause. Inhale, one, two, three, four, and out for four, three, two, one. Okay, now let's go ahead and breathe in for four, three, two, one. Hold for eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and exhale for eight, for four, three, two, one. Let's do one more of that. So in for four, hold for eight, and exhale for four. Okay, so that might be a little challenging for some people. A lot of people start to feel that panic sink in of I can't hold my breath for that Mm -hmm. long or you know, it's too much for me, or it's not enough, or they could go a little more. So however you feel, take note of that and go back to our episode with Kayla, since he fit foodie, where we talked about the CO2 tolerance, because that is directly related to that. If you don't have a good tolerance for CO2, that might be a reason why you felt a little off with holding your breath for eight seconds. So that's apnea breathing. There are other ratios, but the one one is a good starting point for people mm-hmm. who are not really seasoned in this. So I just wanted to share that and uh, see how good you get at that. Perfect.
1: Okay. So today we have Dr. Tyler back. Um, if you've not listened to some of the episodes we've done with her in the past, um, definitely check those out. So we had kind of an intro to pelvic health, physical therapy episode. We've done an episode about pre postnatal physical therapy, and also an episode about, um, people who've not had a baby, but could benefit from pelvic floor physical therapy. Mm -hmm. So in today's episode, we're actually going to be focused on male pelvic health um, and a little bit about what that is. And believe it or not, men also have pelvic floors. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) you know, and I've mentioned on here before, one of the the great things about Tyler's practice is that she does work with everyone. So she goes beyond just that pre postnatal, you know, women, menopausal women, whatever, they can all benefit from pelvic floor physical therapy, but Mm -hmm. there's also so many populations that can benefit that are outside of that. Yes. So welcome back, Tyler. Hi. Thank you for being here. <laughs> um, so let's just go ahead and get started mm-hmm. with um, the simple question of what is male pelvic health and then also talk a little bit about what got you interested in working with this population.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So male pelvic health is really just pelvic floor physical therapy for those who were assigned male at birth. So very, very similar. Um, just a few kind of unique characteristics to what's specific for this population. Um, and then a few car- like differences between like the anatomy and everything like that they have to be a little bit aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, but what really got me into it is just the fact that there is so much focus on that pre postnatal, mm-hmm. kind of like what we talked about in the past. But, um, you know, the, the men who come to see me are, I'm like usually the last line. Mm-hmm. I'm the last one that they have... Seen. Um, and so these people have been living with these symptoms for quite a long time. And it's just, it's about time that that changes. So, yeah. yeah. So, how
0: would a man know that it's time for pelvic floor therapy? What are the things that they've tried beforehand or what yeah. are they experiencing?
2: Mostly they don't. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. so, usually um, people who come in who have like a lot of chronic pain or a lot oh. of issues around pelvic floor um, issues. They've seen a lot of urologists. They've seen many different types of physicians, um, maybe a GI doctor, all these different people. And um, just the awareness, even in the medical community in general, of pelvic floor dysfunction for people who are assigned male Mm -hmm. at birth um, is just not really there. And so they're passed around. They're, you know, put on multiple rounds of antibiotics because people think that it's coming from an infection. Um, so that's really what a lot of these people have to go through is just a lot of no answers. Mm -hmm. And then they sometimes hear about me. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. So, um, what are some of those common symptoms that they might be experiencing that eventually they get into your office?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, usually it kind of, um, revolves around like sexual dysfunction. So Mm -hmm. I see a lot of people who have erectile dysfunction premature ejaculation, inability to ejaculate because Mm -hmm. those are really, really dependent on how the pelvic floor muscles work. Um, I see a lot of just general pelvic abdominal pain. Um, Anyone who has like testicular pain, perennial pain, even like pain at the tip of the penis, very, very common with certain pelvic floor dysfunctions that we see. Um, And then also just general kind of like myofascial pain is also a really common one that not a lot of people think about. Mm -hmm. Um, We talk a lot about like trauma and sexual assault and sexual survivorship um, in the female population, but not a lot of people think about that for those who have a penis. Mm -hmm. So that's something that's also really important to kind of just recognize that these people also can go through that and that can manifest in the pelvic floor. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, So you mentioned like even just myofascial pain, so like orthopedic pain, right? Mm -hmm. So I know I've had a few folks lately even, and just working with you, I've been better about screening my male patients for pelvic floor dysfunction. So, you know, From an orthopedic standpoint, even like Mm -hmm. if they're presenting with low back pain or hip pain, going into like those questions of, well, where, what was the first symptom? And it always surprises me where sometimes like, well, I had this, well, I don't know if this is related or this is embarrassing, but I had like this testicular pain and I'm like, okay, well then there's something going on in the pelvic floor. So, you know, I think even from a physical therapy standpoint, like we talk about in the medical community, Mm -hmm. this lack of awareness, I think even in the PT community, we don't think to screen men. Right. Yeah. With low back pain yeah. or hip pain mm-hmm. or, you know, it, it doesn't always manifest as like erectile dysfunction, right? right? Sometimes yeah. it is like, well, I have low back pain. and Yeah, I had this testicular pain, but I didn't really mm-hmm. think that was related.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: which we see in orthopedics all the time of having aches and pains that patients don't think are related. Yeah. Um, so sometimes, you know, it's just asking those questions, right? right? So being aware too that if you've had these symptoms and you have low back pain, that could be pelvic floor, Mm -hmm. not just a back issue. Right. So keeping that in mind. Um, And then what about um, like urinary or bowel symptoms that people might present with?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, with pelvic floor in general, there's that like urinary bowel sexual Mm -hmm. function. So also with... um, Men, that there can be kind of like urinary changes that you experience, mm-hmm. bowel, like constipation, fecal incontinence. That's very similar to what we see in like the t- traditional women's health realm of things. Yeah. Um, but then it really kind of also comes down to um, mostly around the prostate. So with people who are diagnosed with like chronic prostatitis, there that is one of the most like commonly misdiagnosed. Um, male, yeah, like, centered diagnoses. So um, there's all these different types. There's four different types of chronic prostatitis. And type 3 is also called chronic pelvic pain syndrome. Um And, you know, when someone is diagnosed with chronic prostatitis, about, like, 95% of them, it's not due to an infection. So there's mm-hmm. all these different reasons why that can happen. Um, the first kind of thing that you want to roll out is that infection. Sure. But even if, you know, they go through all these tests and everything's negative, most of the time they're still put on antibiotics and they're still it's still treated as an infection, even though we know that that's not where it's coming from. So that type three is a really, really like very misdiagnosed um, thing. Mm -hmm. And that really prevents a lot of people from getting the right type of help. Because if they're thinking that it's one thing and not really even looking at all the different causes that it can be, Mm -hmm. um, aka the muscles, (laughs) um, it really prevents and prolongs the help that they need.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what type of symptoms might somebody with... Like type three chronic prostatitis have?
2: Yeah, so usually it is like a urinary hesitancy, so like inability to kind of initiate urine. Okay. Um, definitely pelvic pain, which mm. is like if you have pelvic pain, you need to see a pelvic PT. Yeah, like that is the number yeah. one thing. Yeah. Um. So it's really kind of around that. Um. And what you're also looking for is like, do you have a fever? All those signs of infection. Um. And then the people with type three usually don't. So. Right. Yeah. Okay. But there's definitely um, also been kind of some other situations where there I've seen people and they've ended up having other types of diagnoses within the chronic pain umbrella, um, but they were labeled with chronic prostatitis. And okay. that just really was challenging because having that right diagnosis really helps you get to the root cause a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. And it just shows how like... It's all, no one really takes the time to differentiate what, what comes from what.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it just prolonged their care a little bit longer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So what other symptoms, I know I'm touched a little bit on like low back pain, hip pain, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing that I've seen. What other symptoms um, might they see that they may or may not think are related to pelvic floor?
2: Yeah, so low back is definitely Mm -hmm. a huge one. Um, There is a lot of like just correlation between um, like the stability of the core Mm -hmm. and how your spine functions and how your whole body functions really. So that's a huge part is that pelvic floor is a big part of that core and a big part of your foundational strength. So if something's going on there, that can definitely kind of manifest in different parts of the body. Um, But also you you have to think like if you're having testicular pain, if you're having pain in the There's also nerves that come from your lower spine that can you can have that back pain, but then those nerves kind of innervate the testicular area, Mm -hmm. the perineum. So you have to also look at like where else can it be coming from?
1: Yeah. And I love to use the example because I think people understand this a little bit better. It's like when you're having a heart attack, Mm -hmm. there are certain areas they tell you. And I think men and women are even different on where they they have the referred pain. Mm -hmm. Um, But you have referred pain, you know, down your arm or in your jaw or whatever. And that's a sign Mm -hmm. that it's coming from the heart. Mm -hmm. This is because our nerves come from our brain and our spine Mm -hmm. and they come out and they innervate all types of things. So, you know, we talk about this with visceral work too. It's so interesting because, um, there are, you know, neural connections between your liver and pretty much like everything. Yeah. Um, And so when we're talking about, you know, low back pain, or if you're having testicular pain or whatever, these connections are so important to understand. And this is why it's not as simple as just I have pain here. So this is where the problem is, right? It's those neural connections that you really have to look at and so this is all to say like find a provider who's looking at that whole spectrum yeah absolutely so not just you know hey i have pain in this area so this must be the problem right? because i think that's where a lot of these folks that have the chronic prostatitis um that's mm-hmm. that missing piece right yeah, absolutely so, yeah i'm also important. thinking
0: too just I feel like that population probably isn't as inclined to get Mm -hmm. checked out or get evaluated or it's, I think, you know, women tend to be more of like, oh, something hurts. I'm going to go get it checked out right Right. away. Yeah, And I think it could be maybe just lack of resource, lack of education, but also Mm -hmm. some like maybe embarrassment around that because, you know, there's these norms that they think they need to fall within of, you know, how their body functions or whatever. And so, know that we probably will talk about this, but is that something that you experience too? Is there some embarrassment or some, um, closed offness of, I'm really, I'm really embarrassed to talk about this or I'm embarrassed that I'm even here. Yeah. And that could be a reason why people hold off on getting checked out. And so if you're, if you have a partner who's experiencing some of the stuff that Alexis and Tyler are talking about, yeah, like, I really hope this is helpful for you and for them because Mm -hmm. apparently it's actually pretty common. Yeah, definitely. And
2: I would say there is a good amount, no matter who comes in, there's a good amount of um, just initial kind of fear Mm -hmm. and anxiety around like what we're going to talk about, what we're going to do. There's just so much unknown about it that people really do come in with a lot of like, I have no idea what's going to happen. So I try to Like really bring down that anxiety as much as possible and bring um, more awareness to like what to expect for everyone. And there definitely is initially kind of more apprehension um, with this population, but as soon as you give them a safe space and let them know that it's okay to be vulnerable, it's okay to talk about this stuff, and that there are many other people who are going through this, it's not just them, um, which I feel like just helps them know that they're not alone, um, it definitely, there's, there's a shift Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like kind of like what you were talking about, that those stereotypes can be really harmful Mm and just allowing people to like open up because when you do, there is a huge change. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And they're probably also not listening to this podcast because we mostly (laughs) talk about like hormones and periods and stuff. But if you're listening to this, like Evie said, (laughs) and you have someone in your life who, you know, has been dealing with these issues and whether or not they've sought treatment and maybe they've, you know, tried antibiotics or yeah. they've seen a urologist and they're not getting answers, you know, this is definitely something to encourage them to learn more about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a, a great point to make is, you know, share this with somebody in your life who might benefit. Um, so how is male pelvic floor therapy different? Um, Like what would that type of session look like that might be different than some of the stuff you've talked about that would happen in a um, session with somebody with a vagina?
2: Yeah. So it's a little bit different, mostly because of like those stereotypes, honestly, so, or the, the like expectations on men. So it does take a little bit more for them to get comfortable with me. Mm -hmm. Um, so we usually aren't doing like internal examinations or anything really super pelvic floor specific because they're just not used to having that level of like care Mm -hmm. when most people should, um, who are, have a vagina are getting yearly exams and like are very used to that. Now I always kind of Take it on an even playing ground when we start out that, mm. you know, set the expectation that that this is something if you feel like it's beneficial, too, that we can do it. Um, yeah. I feel like it's beneficial because it gives me the information that I need. But if you don't want to do it, there's other things we can do. Sure. So that is like the, the common denominator between everyone. It's just usually people in this population need a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge difference. Um, just that like kind of increased in time to yeah. do what we need to do maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also really it comes down to the different types of things that we see. So things like the chronic prostatitis, mm-hmm. hard flaccid, erectile dysfunction, that's very specific to, sure. to male pelvic health. Yeah. So that that's obviously a huge difference. But yeah. um, then also really the anatomy is a little bit different. So we have all the same parts essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just a little different in size, shape, men obviously have the prostate and then, um, different orientation. So it's just a little bit different where we kind of like look at things.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, and I think we touched on this a little bit, but any other suggestions on how to encourage men to find help? So like, you know, I think it's hard in probably all aspects of health Mm -hmm. to, you know, most of us know this, if you have a man in your life who, yeah. It'll be fine. It'll go away, you know. And it's hard to encourage them. So especially in something that's so personal, yeah. Um, and can have so many stereotypes around it. Like, what type of suggestions do you have to people to encourage those in their life to get help?
2: Yeah, I think just fighting those stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And yes, some men are very like stubborn,
1: essentially. Sure, yeah. <laughs>
2: and don't want to go into the doctor. Well, some and women are that. too. So, exactly. But exactly. I
1: think. It's just more of a stereotype. Exactly. Yeah. So
2: I feel that it, it, there is like that huge societal pressure that mm-hmm. like kind of puts people in the little boxes and all that stuff. Yeah. But you have people on both sides that are that way. It, it's not just a male thing. It's not mm-hmm. just like a female thing. It really can mix and match. And yeah. so just providing like a safe space and letting people know that there is something out there and if they want the help. It's there. Yeah. Um, but no matter what, like if they're just that type of person that doesn't want to go to the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. might just take like a little bit more. Yeah. And is it
0: a safe <laughs> assumption that if you don't get it checked out, like this could turn into something bigger or worse? It so, could definitely so like, progress. why not yeah. like, yeah. you know, cut the cord in a sense and like right. actually get it checked out now and exactly. start improving? Because then in five years, it might be way worse than what's going on now. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Especially with like the chronic pelvic pain, um, just the longer it mm-hmm goes on the longer it's going to take just like with most things yeah I mean it's the same
1: thing with knee pain right exactly if you've had it for 10 years right. it's going to take a lot longer to resolve than if you've had it for a couple weeks right yeah yeah which kind of leads into the next question which is always um something I think probably both of us get asked a lot is yeah. like when should someone reach out if they have these concerns if they think there might be something going on what's like the cue for them to When is it bad enough, if you will, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I always say in a perfect world that as soon as you notice a symptom, that's when you go. But for most people, it's probably when it's really influencing their day-to-day life Mm -hmm. and influencing their ability to have sex. I mean, that's like one of the main things is I get people who are coming in um, and they're trying to start a family and they can't ejaculate or they can't have an erection Mm -hmm. in order to make that happen. Right. So that is definitely a huge driver for a lot of people or that their pelvic pain is so bothersome that they can't even sit for more than an hour or mm-hmm. stand for more than an hour. Oh, and yeah. that's influencing their work life. They're like, they don't want to go out and leave their house because they're in so much pain. Right. Those are very extremes, but that's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that I see is yeah. that it gets to that point before yeah. they find it's not PT. just an
1: ache or a pain right. here in there. Yeah.
2: yeah. And I mean, it can be. So even mm-hmm. if you only have an ache or pain and in, in your mind it's like, oh, it's not that bad. Yeah. If it's there, just get it addressed. Because
1: yeah. like evie said, I mean, if you get it checked out mm-hmm. in the beginning, it's not gonna progress to the point where you're having trouble getting through your work day. Right, exactly. So um, so and I think this is a really important um subject to touch on, and we've talked a little in previous episodes about like what differentiates a pelvic health therapist from just an orthopedic PT and why it's important, you know, postnatal, not to just go to any physical therapist, but go to somebody who has the education. Mm -hmm. So I think this is important too, in touching on male pelvic floor therapy, right? So, um, you know, what is kind of, why is it important to find someone like you who says like i treat men versus Mm -hmm. just finding a pelvic health therapist yes
2: yeah um there are a lot of different reasons but first it kind of comes down to education Mm -hmm. and just the desire to learn about this stuff so we kind of talked about like all the specifics for what makes up male pelvic health and how that's different than the traditional women's pelvic health and um we definitely, in the like beginning of the pelvic health courses, do not learn about male stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do not learn about erectile dysfunction, hard flaccid, icy, ferment, like none of it. Mm-hmm. And so it's very, very important because these diagnoses, even though they are kind of within the chronic pain realm, um there are certain things that you really have to look at differently and have to address certain parts of the body a little bit differently, mm-hmm. um, with this. So it's not just, we're just treating pelvic pain. Yeah. It's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but then also just the anatomy is a little bit different. And, you know, if we are to do an erectile exam, um, which that, you know, we've talked about in the past for people with vagina that you do vaginal exams internally, usually Um, rectal for them can also be beneficial in some scenarios, but for men, the only way to do an internal
1: is rectal.
2: So if they're comfortable with that, then the anatomy for that is a little bit different. And the orientation mostly is a little Mm -hmm. bit different. So,
1: so it's important, even if a therapist has learned you know had taken a couple pelvic floor classes Mm -hmm. they've probably only learned about treating people with a vagina at that point yeah um so i think that's that's something that's super important to to keep in mind um and i think it's challenging you know maybe we can touch on this a little bit too like physical therapy is a very female dominated field as it is Mm -hmm. and i think pelvic health is even more so that way yeah um, why do you think that there aren't more male physical therapists yeah. that are doing this? I think because it starts out with all the courses
2: are female oriented. Start, yeah, And they're a little maybe f- afraid mm-hmm. that they don't want to put themselves in that situation. They don't want to make the person uncomfortable. yeah, And so they don't really even go down that route. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also actually heard like a kind of interesting perspective um, that a friend of mine in pelvic PT that she had a patient who said she, they prefer a female mm-hmm. um, because they don't feel intimidated and they feel like it's easier to open up yeah. than if they were talking to a male. Yeah. So I think that's kind of
1: unique. Yeah. Um, I can totally see that side yeah. of it. Whereas I don't think it would ever be that way with like a female, oh, a male gosh, treating no. a female. Right. right? Yeah. So I could see where like some men might feel more comfortable admitting to yeah. a female therapist, like, Hey, here's what's going on mm-hmm. then. And, and I think it goes back to that, like macho men and not yes. wanting to admit that they're not quote unquote normal, even though this is probably, it's very common. Right. Yeah. Um, But to say that something's out of the norm when Mm -hmm. it comes to that region is embarrassing to another man, I guess. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. absolutely.
2: So I thought that was kind of interesting Mm -hmm. because I always thought like you would want a provider that has it like experiences what sure. you experience yeah. and like knows. Um, but for some people, maybe it's not. an interesting perspective. Yeah.
1: yeah. I do think it would be great if we had maybe like some yes. specifics for male therapists to right. learn mm-hmm. pelvic floor and all of us really as PTs can use some of that education. Yeah. Like I said, I think I've gotten way better about screening people than I was before I worked with you just because right. we talk about it so much and mm-hmm. I see all the things that you're doing and I'm like, oh, I need to ask that question. Yeah. I'm not going to treat the person for that, but at least then I know, hey, this is going on and they're an appropriate referral, right? right. Yeah. Um, so I think that's just an important note. But um, so what do you think is the biggest misconception about male pelvic health?
2: Yeah. Um, So I was trying to think about this and there I think is just a lot of misconception about pelvic PT in general, but especially for um, men that, you know, there's kind of that expectation that they need to be like the macho man like you mm-hmm. said and that there's a general kind of outlook on pelvic BT that it's a very gentle therapy.
1: Like Um, just mostly manual therapy and not a lot of exercise kind of thing. Right, yeah.
2: And that you see a lot of pelvic BTs and they really only treat on a table. Mm -hmm. And there's really only like very gentle core exercises, which is super important. I still do that stuff. But I think it's also really important to know that that may be at the beginning like that, Mm -hmm. um, where we're really focusing on those specific muscles that are more stability based and they just don't need a lot of movement. So we need to try to really get that down before we go into the bigger stuff. Yeah. But if you're a weightlifter and you have pelvic floor dysfunction, we're going to be weightlifting. If you're a runner and you have pelvic floor dysfunction, we're going to be running. So I think it's really important to kind of take that into account and not just avoid it because you think that it's not going to fit like what you feel like needs Mm -hmm. to happen. Yeah. Um, That there's a lot of different layers to it and that it's going to be specific for what you need.
1: Yeah. And I think that's physical therapy in general. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of misconceptions that, oh, all I'm going to be doing is laying on the table or right. pulling this band when moving, I don't know, like the the arm out in and out to the side <laughs> with the band is like the universal symbol for physical therapy. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you're seeing a PT and and that's the type of stuff you're doing, like ask, like, hey, when is this going to progress to what I do in my day to day life? Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, we have patients come in who they're told not to lift a certain amount, but they're picking their kids up that way more than that. So we need to be, you know, having realistic conversations with people about what are your daily requirements, but also what do you want to do? If you're Mm -hmm. an Olympic weightlifter, I've got to get you off the table at some point. You can't lay here all day and do dead bugs, right? So (laughs) it's the same thing with, you know, pelvic health PT. I see you all the time out in the clinic with people loading up the barbell and, yeah. and trying things if it's appropriate. So yeah. I think that's a super important thing to know. And I think, you know, as a patient, like you have to take a little bit of responsibility on being honest with your provider mm-hmm. about what it is that you want and need to be able to do. And if something doesn't feel like it's fitting that mm-hmm. you got to let them know. Yeah. Um, because that's the only way that we're going to be able to make those changes. Yeah. So Anything else about male pelvic health that you want to share? Anything you've thought of as we've been going through this?
2: Um, nothing specific. No, I feel like we got a good kind of general
0: intro to it. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyone who has questions after hearing this, reach out to Tyler.
1: Yeah. And I think that's an important thing to note, too, is like Tyler and I are both always open to answering questions if you're like, hey, you know, my spouse has this thing going on and I'm curious if that's something that maybe Mm -hmm. you could help with. Like, we're happy to guide you. Yeah. We cannot treat you in the DMs. That's not a thing. But (laughs) we can at least tell you like, hey, yes, you're appropriate to come to our office and and this is how we think we can help. Or we think you should start with a urologist or this other provider. Um, We're happy to give you guidance on where we think you know, step one is for you or your family member. Yeah. So keep that in mind.
2: I guess if you want, we can go over like the different, like why, um, the pelvic floor is kind of involved with some of the things I talked about. Yeah. That's a
1: good uh, thing to touch on for sure.
2: Yeah. Okay. So we kind of talked about like first, like the erectile dysfunction, mm. premature ejaculation, all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the pelvic floor muscles are really important for the, your ability to initiate and maintain an erection because mm-hmm. they kind of act as like a block um, and like promote blood flow, but also just stop the blood flow from coming back out of the penis. Right. So that's really like with that premature ejaculation and ability to ejaculate, all of those things are really working a lot on your awareness of the pelvic floor muscles and how you control them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I say this all the time too, we just really ignore that area. Yeah. And so that's where I see a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction in general, mm-hmm. um, no matter who it is, is that they just don't know. Yeah. They don't know what their pelvic floor muscles are. They don't know what it should feel like, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a huge kind of part um, yeah. of what we do with that.
1: I think, especially with males, I yeah. think that there is this conception that um, – It's natural, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it should just be able to happen. And people don't think about the actual, like, physical, (laughs) musculoskeletal, (laughs) you know, things that have to be able to happen. Right. Right. For that to happen, right? Like yeah. we just think like, well, an erection is just a natural thing. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, but there's actually like muscles contracting and things that have to be going on in that pelvic floor yeah. for that to happen. Yeah. Um. So I think it's important to make that point of like why mm-hmm. the pelvic floor is actually involved in those things. Right. Absolutely. And then even with like prostate issues, explain mm-hmm. why that affects the pelvic floor.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we and we can go back to the whole chronic prostatitis mm-hmm. thing that that is really just a, a chronic pelvic pain like mm-hmm. very very broad. Um but the prostate is usually like blamed for all the the issues that you get from it. Yeah. So really we're finding out now that it's more coming from the pelvic floor muscles and all the surrounding things and the prostate's just kind of getting irritated mm-hmm. and that's where the symptoms come from. Yeah. Um so that's kind of like a pretty big find and yeah. more of a reason why pelvic PT should be like a first line for yeah. people who are diagnosed with that. Yeah. Um, but then other diagnoses like hard flaccid, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of like, Unknown, like that is one that a lot of people just don't know about. Yeah. Um, And it's basically uh, you have like tension around the penis or around like the vessels that bring Mm -hmm. blood flow into the area. And so all of that inflammation, the tension, it influences the like quality of your erection, essentially. Mm -hmm. So it's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. Um, That when you do have an erection, it's not really full, it's Mm -hmm. kind of just.
1: Yeah,
2: And then when you don't, it's still like there's structural changes that happen. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people get like discoloration, change in sensation, all because the blood flow has changed Yeah, because of tension around it.
1: Yeah. So it's all very like related to these muscles and this musculoskeletal function. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is interesting. And I think, again, people just don't think about that. And, you know, even if like we've had people who have enlarged prostates, Mm -hmm. But their symptoms are back pain. Yeah. But we have to look at, hey, we're affecting these muscles, that prostate sitting right there in that pelvic floor. Right. If these muscles are affected, that can be causing back pain just like it does in any other population. So I think it's just important to keep in mind, like if that's something, if you've been dealing with Mm -hmm. low back pain for years Mm -hmm. and you've tried all these things and nothing's helped, but you also have an enlarged prostate like mm-hmm. hey maybe that's something to take a look at right and whether there's pelvic floor dysfunction there that just hasn't gone diagnosed yeah, yeah. um because you ha- the symptom is the back pain yeah it's mm-hmm. not some of these other things that would lead you to think pelvic floor right exactly yeah so super important to think about yeah. and then in terms of um like constipation yeah. or ibs or things like that yes that can happen in anyone yeah um that can also be pelvic floor.
2: Right. Yeah. And it's really similar to what we've talked about in like past episodes with yeah. like the non-pregnancy related pelvic mm-hmm. dysfunctions. Is it just any type of inflammatory process yeah. is going to influence the pelvic floor muscles, especially if it's in those organs. Mm-hmm. Um, and with like its con- chronic constipation, like that kind of, those muscles aren't necessarily relaxing when they need to, depending on what type you have. Sure. Um, But if it's like a functional constipation Mm -hmm. that your muscles are basically doing the opposite of what they need to. um, So then there's a lot of retraining that goes into that
1: too. Yeah. Yeah. So Very important uh, to, you know, share this information with people who you think might benefit. Mm -hmm. Um, What health challenge do you have for us for this week?
2: Yes. um, My health challenge would be to share this episode um, with any male, either Someone who was assigned birth, male at birth or mm-hmm. someone who like a cis male um, that you know and kind of get the information out there. Yeah.
1: Even if they don't – even if you don't think they have pelvic floor dysfunction. Yeah. Maybe they have a friend who – has confided in them about something or maybe this is just good information because maybe they don't have an issue now but if something pops up they know what to do right exactly so
2: Mm -hmm. share it around and just the more awareness we get Mm -hmm. the more people will talk and that's really the most important thing is getting these people who need this help in a lot
1: sooner than 10 years (laughs) yes absolutely well thank (laughs) you so much for coming back again tyler we always appreciate you of course